Before we get into to the Bible today in 2 Timothy, I want to celebrate something. Um, the 6th of October is our 20th birthday as a church, so which is really crazy that we've been around for 20 years. So the bottom right, that's Marty when he was a child. Which is just amazing to me that we planted this church um, uh, so, so long ago. We, we had no idea what we, what we were doing. We still don't really have any idea what we're doing. But here we are 20, 20 years later. And we're going to gather on the 23rd right after the, the service. Leave, leave that one there for a bit um, to, to just have a party right after church. It'll be in the, the backyard. We're going to have probably food and um, fun and um, it'll, it'll be a great time. And we hope that you'll, you'll join us. Just, just pop over. I think there is a registration just so we know how much food to, to provide, uh, but we want you there. It'll be a, a great time to just celebrate being um, a church. So th- this is where we started at State Street and uh, um, 14th Street in what used to be a church. Now it's called Relapse Theater. So if you drive down State and 14th, that's where Trinity started. Um, and this, this is a, a picture of our very first service so I'm fourth from the, from the right there at the very front being prayed for by my Aunt Jane um, for good reason because we, we were terrified and had no idea what we, were, what we were doing. And it's just wild for me to think about that being 20, uh, 20 years ago. Um, and one of the things that I think I'm, I'm learning on, in a personal way is that um, God doesn't ask us to do uh, super impressive stuff so much as he just asks us to show up and stick around. I I think that in a world that is addicted to um, achievement and amazing things, when when I was, we planted this church, um, Marty and I were in our mid to to late 20s. And, you know, we naively thought we were going to like, I don't know, take Atlanta for Jesus. I don't even know that Jesus ever took a city for Jesus. Uh, and so there's just a real sense of liberty and realizing that like the most faithful thing maybe that all of us can do is just to keep showing up um, and to be as humble about that showing up as we possibly can. And so I'm just so thankful uh, for 20 years of being able to do this um, with you all. Uh, some of you were there. Um, I'm looking about um, and at the very, very beginning, but many of you were not. Um, and yet we're a part of something that's way bigger than us. And I think we're going to reflect in the Bible in a way that'll bear that out. So happy birthday, Trinity, uh, the 6th of October. Um, yeah, it's crazy, wild. Here's to another 20 years. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. If you don't know where 2 Timothy is, it's after 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard until the day that I've entrusted what I've entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll try to hear what God would say to us through our brother St. Paul. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for his relationship to Timothy. And we pray, God, that as we are able, we'd be able to hear and receive things that are true in Paul's encouragement. We pray, God, for your grace to hear today and to live in light of what we hear and receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul is writing to Timothy, um, who is a young leader in the church, and he's writing, as he says in the text, from prison. Uh, Paul's been in prison for his faith, and I, I, I think on um, just at the, on the, the highest level with a text like this, I just love it because Paul loves Timothy so much. I, I love it because Paul sees a young leader. And when I think back about 20 years, you know, there was a time in my life where I identified with Timothy in this text, and now I more identify with Paul. I think that's the, the benefit of getting old is that you go from being the person who thinks I'm young and I need to hopefully transitioning to I'm getting older and I have something that I want and, and need to give uh, there's something about the, the love here that I just think is so important and something maybe we lose sight of. So the first thing that I want us to reflect on is this idea of ancestors and specifically Lois and Eunice. Um, Paul here at the, at the beginning says um, that his faith was rooted in a faith that came from his ancestors. And then to Timothy, who has become a son to him, not, not by blood, but um, by, by kingdom choice, he says, your mom and grandmother formed you. And I just... Like on a, just such a personal level, I just love the fact that two women are named uh, as being formative influences in a leader's life um, in a world that was deeply like patriarchal. I mean, truly and deeply patriarchal. I mean, we, we throw that word around now. They, the first temple and second temple Judaism in the Greco-Roman world was like a man's world. And Paul um, has been... Uh, cited as being kind of a man's Christian by, by many Christians. I don't think that's a totally accurate reading of Paul uh, because what you see right here is Paul saying like your mom and grandmother, they, they made you who you are. And I just think it's so important for us to hear that. There is a sense in which our faith is not an independent enterprise and we need to be made who we are in community together. And I think that there are a couple of things for us to consider because this really cuts against the American mythology. Uh, I, I love America. I'm going to be cheering for America in the World Cup. And then when they fail, I'm going to cheer for England. Um, and I'm going to hope that we don't have to go past that because, you know, lived in England and live in America. I'm all in. Love America. Go America. And yet... One of our idols is this rugged individualism. And that's an area where faith cuts directly across and against the kingdom of God. This idea that you can do it and I can do it and we can do it by ourselves. It's just, it's, it's antithetical to Christian thinking. It's not the way it works in the faith. 
So this, this myth of like, I climb the hill and I, I ruggedly do what I do and my faith is mine, my faith is private, my faith is, it's, it's just something that I do. Paul just says, my faith, my ancestors had a hand in it. Um, then he says, Timothy, your faith, your mother and grandmother, they formed you. But then there's something even bigger because your family may not have really formed you for faith. Maybe you come today and you're like the, the, the Christian that feels like you're standing out on a limb. Remember, Paul is looking at someone who is not blood related to him. And he's saying, you're my son. He's looking at Timothy and he's saying, we're family. And I believe that one of the most important things that we need to wrestle with and grab onto as we are moving further into a post-Christian society is that we are the family of God. We be Christian together. This is not a you, this is a y'all statement. This is even maybe I would go further. It's an all y'all statement. Paul is saying, we do this together together. Our faith, I believe, increasingly is going to need to be a communal faith. We're going to have to understand that we transmit faith to one another. And I think that there are two dangers around transmitting faith, either in our families, our, our blood families, or our community kingdom families. And you just need to hear it. Paul is saying, your blood family matters, but so does your kingdom family. So if you don't have, if you don't have a family supporting you in faith, I just want to say, if they're not your blood, you do have a family supporting you in faith, and we got to get better at that. There are two dangers. One is privatization, thinking faith is private. Oh, my faith is private. I remember first hearing politicians say this years ago. I don't really feel comfortable talking about my faith. My faith is private. Your faith is not private. And that doesn't mean you need to be annoying about it. It just means you need to be honest about it, transparent. And I think another danger is that faith is sparkly. We have like Instagram faith, the faith that, that looks really good. Your faith is not sparkly. There are like dark spots here. I've had to like live out darkness in front of you over the last year. And that's real, just like the mountaintop experiences are real. One of the big invitations for us is to reject privatization and to reject like a diminishing of the reality of what life with God is like. Your life with God is, is all about the twists and turns. It's about the mountains and the valleys. And we got to start talking about that stuff to one another. It is time for us to recognize that our ancestors and our family, which is both blood and otherwise, that we together are going to help one another be Christian. And there is a transmission of faith by learning how to just talk about what's really going on in life. So that's the first thing. Timothy's not alone. And I think Paul's admonition to Timothy to remember that he's not alone is, is an admonition for each and every one of us to remember that we're not alone. We have to be in the family. We got to be family together. And families are hard. They're hard, but it's so important. The second thing that we see in this text is that God gives power, love, and self-discipline. I, I love because Paul actually says, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and self-discipline. There's another translation. I think it's the NIV that says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Um, and, and this image that Paul is painting, I think is so important because what he's saying is, God has given you good things. And then conversely, the, the enemy or your brokenness or the world wants to give you something else. Fear, cowardice. 
But God has made available to us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. He's given us something that we need to hold on to. And y'all, this is so important. And Paul makes it plain because what he says right after it is like, I'm suffering and you're going to suffer. So he's basically saying, you need to know that I, God, have given you access to power, love, and self-discipline because suffering is real. Life is hard. We go through dark spots. We cannot not acknowledge the dark spots because that's where we become afraid. Just this last week, I woke up in the middle of the night afraid. And I wish I was afraid of the, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you're afraid of the boogeyman under your bed. Now we're just like afraid of life which is way more terrifying than the boogeyman. It's like you wake up and you just feel afraid. You feel like overwhelmed and your heart starts racing. I got up, I had water in the middle of the night and I'm just sitting there drinking water going like, man, I just feel like a total mess, like a coward. One of the things that I'm learning and I really believe I'm starting to take ground in this is that when I feel fear, I now know that the invitation for me when I feel fear is to turn my back on fear and not extend it hospitality. One of the big problems that I think we have is that we extend a kind of welcoming hospitality to some things that we should not extend hospitality to. So what I did in the middle of the night was I said, God, you have not given me a spirit of fear. This isn't from you. Power and love and a sound mind, that's from you. And we turn away from that which is inducing something that diminishes us or moves us away from God and we turn to. Now, I'm not saying ignore the emotion. I'm not saying to pretend that you're not. I'm saying we look at something and say, God, there is something here for me. There is a way forward here, but I have to acknowledge the fear in order to move into a place of extending welcome to power, love and a sound mind. God has given you this. This has been made available to us through what Jesus has done. And I believe that it's really important for us to be the kinds of people who begin to think very clearly, what do I do when I feel like a coward? How does the cowardice, how does the fear move me away from being the person that God wants me to be? I know in my life, it makes me feel sorry for myself. It makes me feel hopeless. It makes me feel uh, cagey. And when I begin to feel those things, I'm learning to say, I'm feeling intense emotion and I'm going to move away from that emotion and not act out in it. And we don't do this perfectly. But y'all, what Paul is saying to Timothy, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where like real life is lived out. And Paul says to us, God has not given you fear, but he's given you um, power, love, and a sound mind. He wants you to rely on the power of God versus your own effort. And that leads us to the third thing that Paul tells Timothy that I think God's trying to say to us is that grace has been revealed in Jesus. And I want you to just, let's slow down for a minute and I want you to consider what Paul actually says. I want us to hold this sentence that comes from our brother Paul. He says, grace has been revealed through the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I'm going to read it again because I want you to, to try your best to hear this. Grace has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Grace is the power and life of God that is expressed in Jesus going to the cross 
and being resurrected, that Jesus faced the deepest darkness and went into that darkness and then was resurrected on the other side. So therefore you have access to power to live your life, even especially in the valleys of life. Grace is not about mountaintops so much as it is about valleys. Grace is how life works. Now, many of us have lived in the kind of Christian world where the word grace and the word mercy become like synonyms. You know, you just hear grace and mercy, grace and mercy. They're said all the time and we begin to think that they're exactly the same thing. They're not the same thing. Mercy is the unmerited kindness of God. Mercy is new every morning. It means God loves you and even likes you even when you are and do fall short. Grace is the power of God that comes to people like you, broken people, that enables us to be the kinds of people that God's called us to be. Grace is powerful. That's why the Bible says the grace of God has appeared instructing men and women to deny ungodliness. It's not unmerited favor that appears, it's the power of God that appears. And one of the things that I believe the Lord wants us to see in a text like this, and maybe in a season like the one you may be living in, is that God has made power available to you it's yours. It's mine. It's ours. He's given us a life to go through the ups and downs and the valleys and the twists and turns knowing that we're not alone. <clears throat> Grace orients us. Grace keeps us, is able to keep us from falling into self-pity and self-despair. We need to seek an awareness of grace. I find myself lately asking, God, make me aware of your grace today. Give me access to your grace because I need the power of God to live my life. Grace allows us to access life in the middle of the valley. So today, if you find yourself in a valley, I believe that the Lord wants you to recognize that grace is available to you. God wants you to be aware of his power, power, love. Self-discipline, power, love, a sound mind, not fear. The fourth thing that Paul says to Timothy is God can guard that which I have entrusted to him. And I think that the best way that I'm currently understanding trust, I think you could define trust as like to place the weight of your life on. So like if I sit on this bent, this, this stool, like I trust it. I'm, I'm like trusting it's not going to fall apart under, under my weight. Um, but what I'm learning about myself is that I tend to sit on the, on the stool of God like this, like a one cheek trust. <laughs> because like, what happens if it, I want to be able to stand? And I think what I'm realizing right now is that I have lived my life for too long with just like half on, half off. And I don't mean like being casual about faith. You can actually hold on to um, volitional power and responsibility and bear it as if it's yours and love God like crazy. This doesn't mean you're a nominal Christian. Um, I think that like some of us just think like, I need to have a backup plan. Now I'm gonna make a very provocative statement. If, if Paul tells Timothy, God can guard that which I have entrusted to you, I would just say the converse is true. God will not guard that which you do not entrust. It's like, let's just hold that for a minute. God is saying, give it to me and I will guard it. I'll guard your life. 
I'll guard that thing you're afraid of that you continue to want to pull back on, that place where you hold life at arm's length and you think like, I, I think I need to hold on to this because I don't know if I can really trust. I can't place the weight of my life upon you, God. What I'm learning is that this means one, one you know, one cheek faith means God's got some space where I've given him access and then there are other places where I'm not. And I just want you to ask the question, like, where are you holding something back? What I think I'm learning to do, and it's super scary, it's part of that waking up in fear, is that I'm, I'm, I'm like testing God in new ways by giving him more, more stuff. I'm like trying my best to hold less back. And it's terrifying because you, you begin to hold less back and then you realize that which has always really been fundamentally true, which is that we're really not totally in control anyway. We just live like we are. So where, where are we holding something back? I think that's really important because God's inviting us to give him our life. And I just want to say it again. He won't protect that which you do not entrust. He can't. And it's not because he's limited. It's because he's, he said, I want you to give me this. And if you won't give it to me, you can have it, God says. And that may be your health, it may be a hope, it may be a dream, it may be a relationship. I, I don't know what it is. I, I think that for all of us, the journey is super, super personal and, and it's hard. So I just want you to ask, like, what, where am I holding something back? And then the last thing, and I, I just love this because it goes full circle. God invites us to guard that which he has entrusted to us. So like, do you see the beauty here? God's saying... I'll guard what you entrust to me, but I'm entrusting some things to you. And I think, I think there are three things. And again, the text doesn't totally say this. So I'm just sort of, you know, like I've been holding it and reflecting. Well, what if, if I'm giving my life to you, God, what, are, what have you given to me? And I, and I can come up with three things. There, there could be more. God has given me my love for him in order to steward. I think that like a campfire, God invites us to care for and steward and take responsibility over our love for him. And there's an, an obligation. And I just, I actually really, I know that text makes everybody feel uncomfortable that we read at the end of the music, the whole, the whole like, but I actually think that's a really important text. Like you all grew up, I, we grew up, I think my generation was the first generation that didn't get trophies for everything. And now like everybody gets a trophy for everything. And we begin to believe then that that text that we just read at the end of the music is not true. Like that we should be told like, come eat and like, good job. Like you just, you like did your job. And what they're saying in that text is like, you're supposed to do your job and not expect trophies all the time. Like just be a faithful. And there's something about tending to my love with God that is not about me receiving accolade. It's like my job. But I also believe that tending to your, your gifts and wiring and your purpose is something God also entrusts to us. God wants us to know how we're made. And he wants us to know why we show up in the world. And he wants us to be really, really faithful at guarding those things. Your treasure that God has given to you to guard is your love for him an understanding of your gifts and wiring and a living into your purpose. And I believe these are treasures God has given us that we must not neglect. We must guard them because he has invited us to guard them. 
He's given you gifts. And it's really important for you to know those gifts so that you can steward those gifts. Maybe, I think it was Buchner who said like, our, the, our, our deepest desire and the need around us, that's like this intersection. I think that's how you begin to get it purpose. And I just want to say purpose oftentimes has very little to do with our paycheck. It's just not, it's not for, no, we don't all have our purpose and our paycheck line up in a perfect way. I, I think part of that is American mythology too. It's like everybody ought to have the first century Jews, they had no desire, they had no thought that they could start nonprofits and live their dream jobs. It just, that's just not the way it works. So if you started a nonprofit, like good for you, but that is not your right. That is like just gravy for you, or maybe a manifestation of your own privilege, which is also amazing. But like, let's not confuse this. Your gifts and your purpose and your love for God are things he's given to you. And he's asking you to just take care of those things. How do you show up when you're at your very best in the world around you? That's what God's asking you to protect. But you got to know what that is first. Or you're just going to be thinking, well, what does she want me to do? What does he want me to do? What does Instagram want me to do? Like find out who you are and be who you are and don't apologize for it. And guard it. I don't have to go to the bathroom as bad as I did 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Here's a question for us to consider. What good entrusted treasure is God inviting you to guard? And I use those words, I mean, it's bad grammar, but I did it on purpose. What good entrusted treasure those are like Bible words in this text. It's good, it's been entrusted, and it's valuable. What is God asking you to guard, to steward? And you may find yourself thinking, well, there's also the other side of it. There have been things I haven't given. There's trust I haven't rendered. We can meditate on that too. But I'm, I want to invite you to think about what has God given you and what is he asking you to protect and hold on to? We're just going to spend a couple of minutes in quiet, and then we're going to come to this communion table together. But first, let's just be still and ask that question. What good and trusted treasure has he, in, has he given to me?
if we're able to stand together.